You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Christopher Murney. Do you know that name? He's the guy that played Hanrahan in Slapshot. The goalie. He made millions as the voice of... Chester the Cheetah from the Cheetos commercial. That's Hanrahan. How to stay cool. You gotta talk cool. Look cool. Check the shade, baby. Elliot, we'll start the week on 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup by talking about the big story of the weekend and Saturday. It was a shocker. Uh, Vander Kane placed on unconditional waivers for the purposes of a contract termination. And as of 2 o'clock Eastern on Sunday, he went unclaimed. Let two things begin, the termination of the contract and the grievance. What's the latest? The latest is that as of 2 p.m. Eastern on Sunday afternoon, he cleared waivers. And shortly after that, the Sharks filed the necessary paperwork to say, we are terminating Evander Kane's contract. So as it stands right now, Evander Kane has no contract in the National Hockey League and is an unrestricted free agent. However, as you said, this is not over. There is going to be a grievance from the Players Association. And, you know, we're going to see if this ends up in a settlement or this is going to go in front of an arbitrator who will have the right to decide. Now, I will say this. I have learned over the years, do not predict what an arbitrator is going to do. Everybody thinks they know, but for every lawyer you can who will say one thing, you can find another lawyer who will argue the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And you are up to the whim of the arbitrator on that day. So this is what I can tell everybody based on you know what I know. As reported on the weekend, the Sharks voided the deal for what it called two violations. One was on December 21st, he tested positive for the coronavirus while playing for AHL San Jose, and he took a flight to Vancouver on the 29th. And they are saying he did not have medical clearance or permission to take that flight. The second thing they are saying is that he was supposed to return on December 31st and did not return until January 6th. Now, Kane is contesting both of these, and that's the basis of his grievance. You know, people wondered, do any of the other legal issues have anything to do with it? No, not based on what the Sharks filed. What one lawyer said to me is that one of the more interesting things here 
is that it would be, if true, his second COVID violation. Kane was suspended the first 21 games of this season for use of a fake vaccine passport. I had one lawyer say to me that they really felt that that bolsters the NHL and the Sharks case. And we should mention the Sharks had the approval of the NHL to do this. I had one lawyer say to me that they feel that that really bolsters San Jose's case. I had another one that said the thing that's going to make this most interesting to him is that one was at the NHL level and one was at the AHL level. So will there be an argument that these violations are not the same? Because, you know, as they point out, there's so much money at stake here, about $23 million. Every argument is going to get made. As someone else said to me, one of the NHL agents, one of the reasons the Players Association has to fight this is that if they don't, the risk becomes that any violation of COVID protocol becomes a license for a team to terminate a contract, especially if it's of a player that you know no longer fits in, right? Mm-hmm. So that becomes an interesting subplot to all of this too. So one of the things that I wonder about here, and you mentioned it on Saturday as well, is... And, b- and before we talk about Keane's on-ice future, I did have someone who sent me a DM who said, under what basis do the Sharks or the NHL think that Kane's contract can be voided. And so I asked about this, and I was told, if you want to Google the standard player contract, there's a section, it's 14A, failure, refusal, or neglect to render services and or other material breach of the contract, failure to conduct yourself on and off the rink according to the highest standards of honesty, morality, fair play, and sportsmanship, and to refrain from conduct detrimental to the best interest of the club, and a material breach while on loan to the American Hockey League. Mm -hmm. And again, all of this stuff has yet to be proven or argued in front of the arbitrator. We'll see where it goes. But someone asked, and when our fans ask, we come running with the answer. Here's a potential scenario then, and you mentioned this on Saturday. Let's say... Evander Kane signs with another team. And we believe, like I was told on Saturday, there will be perhaps 10 teams that would be interested, depending on you know what type of contract Kane was looking for, who would be interested in the services of Evander Kane. Let's say Kane signs a deal with a new team and then wins the grievance. Whose team is he on? It's a great question, and that's what I asked. And what I understand is sometime over the next couple of days, and they probably already started, but over the next couple of days, the League and the Players Association are going to have to set some ground rules on how all of this works. I do think there's a lot of people who believe this ends in a settlement, that the Sharks won't want to risk having it all come back, and Kane won't want to risk losing everything. Mm-hmm. You know, for example... Even though I agree with you that I think there's teams out there looking at this, I don't think he's going to get $24 million. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think so at all. I think that big payday has gone Mm -hmm. for Evander Keane. But I think there are a lot of teams that are out there, correct me if I'm wrong, Elliot, that are looking at this and saying, hang on, we all understand the baggage that comes along with the player, Mm -hmm. but we could get a really high-end player here at a discount price. I don't think everybody's like that, but I think there are some teams who will will fully pass that won't do it at all. 
but I think there are some teams thinking that way. So it, it's just a matter of what you know where Kane wants to go and and what he wants to play for or what he's willing to play for. But the league and the players' association are going to have to set some ground rules for how all that could work, mm-hmm. and I expect they will. And I do think there's going to be a push for a settlement here, and both sides have reason to do it. You know, the other thing I will say, as you can imagine, Jeff, there are a lot of other teams out here who are not happy. You know how other teams are, how they you know, oh, yeah, sh- yeah, yeah, shiv yeah, yeah, each yeah. other behind the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, not they're thrilled like, at this one. Not, <laughs> not loving this. <laughs> they're getting cap relief. They don't deserve. I mean, you know how it goes. I wonder what this means from the San Jose Sharks point of view as well. And there's one player that I wonder about specifically, and that's Tomas Hurdle who is a, uh, an impending unrestricted free agent and Patrick the other day, right? And he's a, a wonderful player. You know, this is his time to ring the bell in a lot of ways. He's 28 years old. He's on the expiring UFA deal. Just to be blunt, the fact that Evander Kane is no longer part of the plans in any way, shape or form for the San Jose Sharks. Does that warm him more to re-signing with San Jose or is it still, and I don't know, just maybe only Hurdle has the answer to this, or do you think it is just, hey, listen, I've come this close to free agency. What's waiting a couple more months to see what's out there? It certainly makes it easier if that's what everybody wants to happen here. I will say this, Jeff, and it might be too early to tell where this is going, but it was definitely trending towards that Hurdle was going to test the market. Now we'll see. This story very much uh, a new one, a fresh one. We'll follow it all the way. Um, Stay tuned um, either at our Twitter feeds, our radio stations, our website, or your favorite podcast. 32 Thoughts presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. Let's kick it off, Elliot. Okay, welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Thanks for joining us to kick off your week uh, of hockey ahead. So Sunday, Elliot, as it relates to the Los Angeles Kings, was an interesting one. So we get the news about Mark Bergevin, a little bit of a shocker here to most, uh, named senior advisor to the general manager of the Los Angeles Kings, and we all go, uh-oh, what does this mean for Rob Blake, who's the general manager? A few hours go by and we hear the news that Rob Blake has a contract extension Mm -hmm. uh, to remain in that capacity with the Los Angeles Kings. What do you make of Sunday's L.A. news? First of all, Jeff, we should credit John Hoven. Yes. uh, Who broke the story on Sunday night that Rob Blake has a contract extension coming. A multi-year. He said he wasn't sure four or five years, but, you know, I, I think he's totally right. Not that he needs my confirmation. There was a rumbling earlier in the week that Bergevin was potentially going to San Jose to help out. And I looked into that and it turned out, you know, I was told, don't go with that one. And I'd like to thank the person who told me not to go with that one because I would have looked totally stupid. But I have to say I'm a little bit annoyed at myself for not thinking about, well, maybe someone mixed up the wrong California team and they meant a different team in California and I should have pursued it more. But whatever the case is, Before John broke the story on uh, Sunday night, someone did say to me, 
and I think this is a very smart person, don't make any crazy assumptions here. Don't jump to conclusions because I know what you're thinking. I know that you're thinking that, you know, if Blake doesn't make the playoffs, Bergevin is coming in as the GM. And he said, I will tell you that I think that's a bad assumption for you to make. And now we have a clearer picture as to why he told me that that was a bad assumption to make. I'm curious to see where this is going to go. You know, I do wonder if Bergevin is doing this right now just to kind of keep busy and keep his name out there. Cause I don't think he's necessarily out of maybe like the Anaheim situation. So I think there's still a story here to be told on what Bergevin's future is in LA. Like, for example, I don't think this means that he's not going to be looking at any other opportunities that are out there. So I think right now it sort of keeps Bergevin's name out there. It gives him something to do, something to be involved in. But I don't think it's going to preclude him in any way chasing whatever other opportunities might be out there. The uh, the Bergevin Association is a Luke Robitaille Association, safe to assume that? Well, you know, you had said earlier on one of our previous podcasts that a lot of people wondered if the Bergevin Robitaille Association would lead to something in this particular case. And obviously, on some level, it has. You know, the other thing, too, is if you look at L.A.'s history, they've never been afraid to bring, you know, former GMs in there. Under Dean Lombardi, they had Ron Hextall, for example, and that's been talked about a lot today. To me right now, this just seems like a place for Bergevin to hang his hat a bit, be involved, help with their processes, and then kind of see where things go for him. You know, there's still openings out there. I think it's I think it's very unlikely he'd be in Chicago, but there's still Anaheim. You know, there still might be more changes as the season progresses here. So what this says to me is if he doesn't get a full-time job somewhere else as a general manager or a VP or whatever, he has a situation for himself here. Okay, so the Los Angeles Kings, we'll use this as a transition. They are one of the teams who could be interested and could offer a package, the likes of which... You had some real good information, by the way. I wanted to give you uh, credit. You had some great information on the show. So, And and this is all about the Jacob Trickman impending trade, which we believe will happen in advance of trade deadline. Although, really, I don't know how much pressure Arizona is under right now to move Jacob Trickman, considering he has this year and then three subsequent years, or seasons, rather, still left on his contract. But what the Arizona Coyotes are looking for is something, as I reported on Saturday, something along the lines of the Brent Burns deal. And that was Devin Setaguchi, Charlie Coyle, and a first-round pick. Now, Devin Setaguchi at that point was a really young, good player. Charlie Coyle was a, a highly sought-after and highly thought-of prospect, and the first-round pick is a first-round pick. You know, I didn't really get a chance to talk with you on Saturday night during that segment because, you know, we, we were a bit tight. But do you think that's enough? I think it depends on who the prospect is and who the player is. Like, this could turn into a player, a prospect, a first, and a second. Mm-hmm as well. I think it all depends on who the players involved are here. And it depends on, you know, how you know, how impactful the prospect is, how impactful the young player is. So, I think that that's not exactly what they want, but that's the model from what they're working from. Essentially, I mean, Elliot, you want to break it down even more simpler than that? 
the Brent Burns deal was three first round picks. Devin Setaguchi, Charlie Coyle, and a first. Mm-hmm. You know, the Jack Eichel deal, and he's a $10 million player, is essentially three first round draft picks. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the basis from which Arizona is working from. Now, that may preclude some teams from making this deal. Teams that might have a desire, whether it's the Boston Bruins or maybe the New York Islanders, maybe they don't have those pieces available to the Arizona Coyotes, but there are teams, I mentioned three, that do have the capability of doing that right now. Do your list. So Los Angeles Kings are one of them. And they've been interested in Chikrin for a while, I've heard. They have been, yes. Yeah. The Anaheim Ducks are another one. See, that made a lot of sense to me when you mentioned Lindholm. They have three big free agents, unrestricted free agents, uh, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, and Ricard Raquel. And if they lose Hampus Lindholm, Jacob Chikrin slides into that spot. Plus, much like Los Angeles, we all know that Anaheim has a really, really deep prospect pool. And it's a team on the rise. So that one made a lot of sense, specifically when you look at, you know, the Hampus Lindholm insurance element of it. And the other, this is maybe just because, you know, Arizona's general manager used to be in St. Louis and would have an intimate knowledge of that organization and those players. You know, you do wonder about the St. Louis Blues here Mm -hmm. and how Doug Armstrong feels about his blue line. There have been teams that have tried to get Joel Hofer away from St. Louis before, and they've always resisted, I'm told. I wonder about the Arizona Coyotes, if they're looking at the St. Louis Blues and looking at whether it's Joel Hofer or whether it's Jake Neighbors or maybe Scott Perunovich, plus picks like St. Louis, and they're in it. Like St. Louis is having a real nice season. Despite everything, that you, you got to give it to the St. Louis Blues. We've talked about this before. They're having a really good season, and they're a heavyweight team. I was very disappointed in their victory on Sunday, but we'll we will get to get that. To that Elliot. I, I know you're. I, I know you got boo boo face about that one, but we'll get there. <laughs> they, um, you know, they have really good prospects. They're a team that's going for it. Gotta tell you, if you get that Perunovic in that deal if that's what you're talking oh, about boy, here. i know right listen i think joel hofer as well he's a good player like there's like st louis has and they could use a goalie well that, and that's the one thing that arizona i would think more so over any other position would be looking for right now so i don't know so i the the the, the teams that make the most sense you know out of, out of the blocks and like i reported on saturday there are over 10 teams that have made inquiries those three seem to be I don't know about, you know, clubhouse leaders or anything like that, but those seem to be the the three most obvious ones who would be able to put a package together that would at least give the Arizona Coyotes reason to call a timeout and have a conversation. So you asked earlier about the Coyotes not being in a rush. One of the things that a few other teams suspect is Chickren's returning from an injury here, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the other teams believe that Arizona wants to make the deal because A, they don't want this hanging over them, which I understand. Yeah. And B, you're just worried he's going to get hurt again. And if he gets hurt again, does that screw up your timing or ability to make a move this season? There are some teams out there that they don't think Arizona's going to rush to do it, but they think they're motivated to do it. Sure. You, so you've mentioned St. Louis here. You mentioned Anaheim. You mentioned L.A. Was there anyone else you mentioned on Saturday night? I can't remember. No, I mean, you know, I mentioned um, the Boston Bruins in relation to Lawson Krause. And yeah. a lot of that is just because over the past couple of years, the Boston Bruins have always showed interest. And I, I would suspect that that would still be true. 
Someone called me this morning and they said, I'll make you a bet. It's, it was a, okay. an Eastern Conference exec. He said, I'll make you a bet on loss and Kraus. He said he liked your prediction. Mm-hmm. He said it was not as bad as a lot of your regular <laughs> ideas. Uh, but he said, he, and this is a team that might have to play Tampa Bay. Uh-huh. And he said, I don't like it, but I could see loss and Kraus ending up in Tampa Bay. Tampa, hey? Interesting. He said that that is the kind of player that Tampa Bay is going to go out to get. To replace, yeah, and they've had some guys there this year who've played really well, but they'll look for that kind of a player. Interesting, and also, as we all know, it's only a matter of time before Phil Kessel is on the go too. So that's the other yeah. one. So that was the the main info. Now Klingberg, you had some good stuff on Klingberg. Dave Penyota of um, on NHL Network on Friday reported that John Klingberg had asked for a trade. John Klingberg, after the game on the Pittsburgh game on Saturday, said, "Well, that's not exactly true." Yeah, I don't think it's entirely true. It's not like I've been going up there and asking I want to get traded now or something like that. It's something that's been that's been going on uh, with the negotiations and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's been a couple, few frustrated years individually. And as a player, it all ends up coming to your next contract, obviously. And I've been a Dallas star since day one. I've been pretty clear that I want to stay here. I grew up here. I got my daughter here and all that. At the end of the day, it's a business. I understand it's a business on both sides. Uh, I got to take care of my part as well. And it's, it's been standing still. I feel like I wanted to, after last season, I was pretty clear that I, was clear that I wanted to, to start negotiating right away and see where we were at. They wanted some time with free agency, draft, and stuff like that. And I understand that. But at the same time, I feel like I've been here proving what kind of player I've been for for eight years now. Other guys have signed right before the season before, and I wanted to do that as well. But lately, it's just been going more quietly and quietly. And uh, for me as a player, I don't feel that I've been appreciated in that way when we don't even negotiating and uh, that it's, 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 it's quiet. So for me as a player and my agent, we, we talked with Jim a couple of months back, and he agreed that we could start talking with uh, other GMs and see where we were at. But uh, negotiating-wise with the Stars has been very quiet. Uh, so it's a little bit disappointing for sure, but it's it's a business. I understand their side, but I have my side to take care of as well. I don't want to dispute Dave's reporting because he's a good reporter, uh, and he's right. It sounds like this was semantics. This is. This is semantics. This is semantics. So... I talked to Peter Wallen, who is the agent for John Klingberg. He's in Sweden scouting 06s right now. And he said it was either late November or early December. And this is when, you know, the contract talks had hit a stalemate. And we know that the Klingberg camp is looking max term. So eight years, something just underneath $8 million on the AAV. So like 62, $63 million for the, the entire package. Nil's not there, obviously. And the conversations had just stalled. At which point, Klingberg's camp said, essentially, look, if we can't come to an extension, if you're not committed to my guy to extend him, to keep him part of this team, which is his primary desire, will you please accommodate a trade? Essentially, like, look, if you don't want me here long term, let's just agree to walk away here. So that's what the scenario was. It wasn't as if, you know, Klingberg marched into Jim Nell's office and pounded the table and said, get me out of here right now Mm -hmm. from Klingberg's camp is a, I want to stay here. I want to stay here for the maximum amount of time that I can. 
I've always been a Dallas star. I want eight years and here's the money that I feel that I'm worth. And if we can't accommodate this, and I don't know whether Jim Neal is there, whether he's there, you know, he's he doesn't like the term or he doesn't like the decimal point that I have no idea about. But to Klingberg, choice number one is stay and extend and stay a member of the Dallas Stars. But if that can't happen, would Jim Neal accommodate a trade? So that's what I was able to to find out on Saturday as for that. Again, Dave Panyota, not wrong at all. John Klingberg, not wrong at all. Just a little clarity. You know what? Dave should get that on his tombstone. Dave Pagnota, <laughs> not wrong. Listen, I, I'd be happy to have that on mine too. <laughs> That's high praise. What do you think of the Klingberg situation? I mean, he talked about how, you know, he he's, you know, he didn't feel appreciated. Like that press conference after the Pittsburgh game where he said he didn't always feel appreciated by his team. Like that's that's powerful stuff, and you never hear an athlete talking like that. Well, first of all, I loved his honesty. I'm never going to fault someone for being honest. We always demand it, and we get upset when we don't get it. You can't criticize people for being it. He wore his heart on his sleeve, and I appreciate that as a reporter. This is what I think is going on in Dallas. What did Dallas do off this? On the ice, as, as you mentioned to me, they, they ended Pittsburgh's winning streak. What did they do off the ice? Uh, they hired Steve Greeley, as we talked about last podcast. And what did we talk about in terms of why we think they did that? It was because they wanted to change the way they make decisions, right? They want to do business in a different way. And it sounds very much like Steve Greeley is going to have input in a lot of, if not all, decisions from amateur scouting to pro scouting to trades to to everything, pretty much. So I think what this is all about is, is the Ben and Sagan contracts. And it's not like those are bad players. And it's not like those players were undeserving of the deals they got when they got them. What is the problem? That both of them have battled significant injuries to try to stay at the level they've been at. Mm -hmm. And it's affected both of their careers. You know, Jamie Benn is a monster, but he's a little less of a monster, unfortunately, because of his body. Tyler Sagan is an extremely talented, dangerous player, but he's a little less of a dangerous player because of his body. And I think that what has happened here is that the stars have made the decision that I think they've just looked at it about long-term health. They'll take the eight-year bet on Haskinen because he's younger, but after what's kind of happened with Ben and Sagan, and again, not their will, not their ability, but what's happened to their bodies, they don't want to take that bet. I'm convinced now that's the reason why Klingberg has not been extended long-term. It's because the organization has said, look, we've had too many of these, and we're not doing it here. You know, the one thing I would say about elite-level athletes is, and elite-level people in general, and I know because I'm wired a bit this way, sometimes I take things as slights that make sense, but they still really, they make sense to other people, but they still really piss me off. And people will say to me, Jeff, like, Elliot, you're, you're being unreasonable. I'm like, I don't care if I'm being unreasonable. It still bothers me. And from a business point of view, it's not wrong for Dallas to decide that based on what I think their decision-making is. Mm -hmm. But if you're John Klingberg and you've spilled blood for Dallas and you've been there for almost a decade, all of us outside can say, okay, that makes sense to us. But John Klingberg doesn't care that it's sensible. He sees what he's done for Dallas, what they've done for him too, but 
He's also filled his half of the bargain. And he's like, come on, like I've bled for this team. I've gotten hurt for this team. I've scored for this team. And you have to understand that is the emotion of the player. Now, I don't know what Dallas is going to do here, Jeff. You know, they're very much in the race. Like, I think Dallas will make some decisions at the deadline based on where they are with some of their UFAs, not just him. First of all, I can't believe they stayed quiet for almost two months. And secondly, you know, it says to me that right now while Dallas is in the race, they're not really interested in making themselves a weaker team. No, uh, and I think what Dallas thinks they have in their hip pocket is although he's still a young player is I think that they're looking at their blue line and looking at Haskinen and looking at Suter and saying, okay. And we also have Thomas Harley coming here too. Yes. All of this stuff is, is part of it. Like you look like Jim Nill went out and signed defenseman in the off season, right? Like what we talked about this, you know, uh, not too long ago. Like what did Jim Nill make a priority perhaps thinking that this was going to be an issue? What did he do in the off season? He signed Ryan Suter and he signed Yanni Hockenpah. Yep. And they joined the organization and they've got Thomas Harley in their hip pocket. Now, is Thomas Harley a replacement for John Klingberg? Not a chance. Not a chance right now. But I think maybe they're thinking somewhere down the road that may be the replacement for John Klingberg. How close do you think they were? Klingberg and Dallas. What, a million a year apart? Oh. <sighs> One and a half? I think... Even closer? See, I honestly, I, I don't know that Dallas gets into the 60s on an eight-year term. So it's about a million a year, maybe. Maybe a bit less. But here's the other thing. I don't know if they want to go eight. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I still don't know is, what is the issue? Is the issue the money or is the issue the term? That I don't know. I just heard the issue was the Ben and Sagan contracts. It's not that they regret them. I think that's the wrong thing to say. It's just that they've seen what can happen to someone's body mm-hmm. over that long term at that point in their careers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Klingberg's not taking a four or five year deal now, not at this point no in time, not the way the defensive market is. I think Dallas legitimately tried to sign him. I think they did. They couldn't get to a sweet spot. And Dallas said, we're just not comfortable going where Klingberg wants to go. What do you think the market for Klingberg is right now? We know that Carolina has been interested. I put that out there a while ago. I think there's two teams you are going to hear in every trade rumor right now, and that's Carolina and Colorado. Yeah. I think the market's pretty good because there's going to be defensemen out there, right? Mm -hmm. Teams are going to need them. You know, someone's going to want Mark Giordano. Someone's going to want John Klingberg. Those guys can win playoffs. They're different players, but they can win playoff series for you. And Klingberg as well, you always have to mention it, right-hand shot. Yes. Those guys always in demand. Very well-dressed. He'll look very good at those (laughs) walk-in shots. Very true. You want to talk about Dallas-St. Louis on Sunday? Do I ever. (laughs) You know, first of all... In-season Stanley Cup, here we go. Back home, baby. I love this pool. First of all, that is such a joke that you won that game. That really is. And then I saw that in-season Cup tweet... It's the first time you've beaten me in eight meetings, and I was even more angry about losing that game. I wanted, I was the, due. I wanted the zero I was next due. to you. I, wanted to, I was due, free. Come on. It's like, I didn't just want to win. I want to win by more. But uh, when I asked Amal to get a piece of video for me, I think the true description of this game belongs to Nikita Kucherov. Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. 
That's funny because that's what you texted me this afternoon after the game. <laughs> and right after that, I called Amal right. and said, you got to get that clip. That's exactly what Elliot texted me even before I had a chance to gloat. <laughs> he texted that to me. So, you know, you know, first of all, <laughs> for, congratulations on the win. Uh, uh, that was a, that was a hell of a game. What a meltdown at the end of that game. Imagine you're up one uh, nothing. You know, we all saw the reaction of bonus after the game, smashing the stick, and he really composed himself and didn't say anything crazy in the post game. I can't tell you what the referee said to me. If you're watching the game, you saw what happened. So, you know, they clearly pull Miro down, clearly grab his stick and pull him down. It's my opinion. They got lucky. We broke his stick on a penalty kill. Second goal goes in off our feet. That's a break to the game. We played a hell of a hockey game. We deserve we deserved a lot better than that. We did. We played a hell of a road game for our third game in three and a half days. We battled hard. We deserved a lot better than that. Boy, there's a lot of hard feelings around Dallas after that one. To get out of that game without even a point, mm-hmm. that absolutely stinks. I am not convinced I would have reacted any differently than bonus. And what really bothers them was for people who didn't see the game, it's one nothing. In the last minute, Dallas has been playing great all the way through. Biddington was unbelievable. Oh, yeah, just an unbelievable he game. Was, yeah, Sunday was his day. He was great. So they're on the power play, St. Louis is. It's six on four. The puck is loose behind the net going into the corner, and Haskin is chasing after it, and he's taken down. Had his stick held. I just had his stick held a little bit. That's all. That's all. Just a little yeah, bit. Barely anything. Really, barely. He went down. He went down. <laughs> And then, so he's mad as he gets up and he slashes Kairu's stick and it breaks. So you're getting that penalty call. I mean, it was a legit slash and he broke the stick. Like everything that could have gone wrong did there. And the other thing too was Kairu, as his stick is breaking, makes a pass that eventually leads to the tying goal. And so it's 1-1, they score, and Hayeskinen gets a penalty. And you can see Bonus on the bench is furious, Ben is furious, Hayeskinen's furious. And apparently, and I heard this secondhand, Dallas was told that Hayeskinen toe-picked, which is... Not true. You know, like, (laughs) hey, you know, calls get missed, but if someone says to me, like, this is the thing, like, there's someone who texts me whenever a play like that happens... And he says, that's a $5 million call. Yeah. Because if you don't miss the playoffs, maybe you lose $5 million because of that. Okay? Yeah. But, you know, I think we always understand that that can happen. It's just a joke he does with me. He says, that's a $5 million call. But the thing is, one of the things we talk about is if someone just says, hey, like, we looked at it again and, and we just missed it. I think in a lot of cases that diffuses people. I just don't think that Dallas <laughs> liked the answer that they got about it being a potentially a toe pick. Yeah. And then the winning goal went in and bonus went absolutely crazy. in front. They score! Cairo bangs it in! And the blows! Another power play goal! I probably would have lost my mind too. Holy jumping! The same turn of events that happened at Dallas yesterday afternoon against Pittsburgh. The Blues have turned the tide. Do you think Bonus gets anything for that? I know he was very composed afterwards, but the antics on the bench with the stick. Nah. 
I'm fine with it, but I just know the NHL frowns on it. Well, that'll be in every highlight package because that is part of the story of that game based on what happened late in the game. Well, here's the thing. Brendan Moore was fine this year. Yes. And he had been warned before. Gerard Gallant, as I understand it, was not fined, but he was warned with an incident in New York uh, a couple of weeks ago. I know people out there disagree with me. There are people out there who feel that there's kids watching and there's young coaches watching and they think it's okay when you do this. I disagree with that. Like one of my favorite players growing up was Michael Jordan. If I saw Michael Jordan lose his temper, I never took that as license for me to lose my temper because I'm not Michael Jordan. I think you have to manage your own house. <laughs> you know, like that that's the way I've always seen it. Mm-hmm. Like just because somebody else acts some way doesn't mean it's licensed for for me to act some way. So when I look at that bonus thing, my personal belief is he just lost a massive game in a season where it's going to be a battle for them to make the playoffs. I I think you have to be understanding. I know not everybody sees it that way, but we all want the coaches and the players and everybody involved to care as much as we do as fans. I see that. It doesn't bother me. But I know, because I remember the last time we talked about Brindamore, a lot of you who listen to this podcast disagree. That's fine. You're entitled to your own opinion. This one's mine. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, from there, I want to ask you about the Oilers and uh, the positive COVID cases and the game against the Ottawa Senators on Monday postponed. That's now pushed to Saturday, which gives Ken Holland now six days to make some decisions or have decisions already been made? Uh, You know, the one thing I did hear this week, we've talked about it before on the podcast and Holland has said before this year, that he'll move his number one pick if the team's in it. If you look at Edmonton's draft uh, situation this year, their fourth rounder was already traded away. New Jersey's got it in the Kulikov deal. And their second and third rounders, well, it depends on what happens. It's in the Duncan Keith trade. It depends on how far the Oilers go, right? Yes. So he doesn't have all of his picks. The other thing I heard is that uh, he was asked about his first rounder this week, and he said no. That's what I was told, and you know the reason is they're not they're not sixteen and five anymore. Uh, they're on a stretch where they've won just two games in regulation in their last thirteen, and I don't think that Holland sees it as 
I'm not trading my first rounder when it's this. So I think that's off the table for the time being. And I think he was asked about it. What do we know? They're not the team that was 16 and five. Yeah. But I don't think they believe they're the team that, that's two, nine and two in their last 13 either. What I'm hearing is they want to get back healthy, get everyone back in the lineup. Anyone who tests positive doesn't have to test again for three months and see where they go and kind of judge from there. But I still stand to my point, Jeff, mm-hmm. that they realize missing the playoffs is not an option. But I think the most significant thing that's happened is that I've heard Holland has said, I'm not dealing the first rounder when this is where we are in the standings. It doesn't make any sense. If he's dealing that first rounder, it's because he thinks he's got a shot at it being picked somewhere around 25th or later. Do we expect anything this week from the Oilers? Or is it just eyes on Saturday in the game against the Ottawa Senators? I think it's probably, can they get everybody back and can they get everyone healthy? You know, they've fired a lot of people there. I really wondered if they would think about a coaching change. Like, I talked to Holland not this past weekend, but a week ago when the Babcock rumors came out. And he said, look, like, I'm throwing cold water on those, basically. You know, I believe that. I know one of the things they've talked about in Edmonton is that too often the answer is just fire people. Yep. And it's happened a lot there over the last decade. They want to stop it. And could it happen? Absolutely, it could happen. But I still don't get the sense that's what he wants to do. I really don't. Okay, on that, we will uh, we'll reset. Quick break. Back with some of your uh, emails and phone calls. 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca, the email address and the thought line, 1-833-311-3232. We'll be right back. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco Boat, really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, Elliot, so a couple of phone calls and a couple of uh, emails here to wrap up the program once again. Before we do this, 
I wanted to thank everybody for all the DMs. I got a lot of ridiculous <laughs> trade proposals. But Jeff, I wanted yeah. to let you know yes. that you got a lot of support for the backwards skating idea, but not in a lap. Yeah, just a straight line. Something like that. Uh, listen, I'm not. People did support the backwards skating. I'm not an inflexible man. I will, you know, I will <laughs> bend, but I won't break. I can fine. Okay, if it's going to be. See, I just looked at it and said, okay, what events can answer a question? And the question is quite simple: Who skates backwards the fastest? So I just wanted to tell yeah. you that there were a lot of people in my DMs saying that they liked that idea, and I had one person who said, "Be nicer to Jeff." So yeah, good luck. I will fulfill that request. In about 30 yeah, years. that's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, I don't expect it. You know what? Because we, uh, I got a lot of um, replies on that one on Twitter as well. And a lot of people, like completely unsolicited, said Jonas Brodin. I got a couple of those. Like there was like five or six people. Because I was always wondering too, like, okay, who will people you know, suggest for this one? Overwhelmingly, the person with the most votes from just from responses that I got. Jonas Brodin of the Minnesota Wild. I got a lot of Kale McCarr. Yeah. I see. I don't know about Kale McCarr as a backwards skater. I, again, I just don't know. He just looks like he's fast at everything. He just looks like he's great at everything. His smash Paul Coffee records. God, he's so good. By the way, that Toronto Colorado game was fantastic the other that day. That was so fun. That was so much fun. And stars on display. Now, okay, let, let, me, let me ask you this question How much do you think that third period was about the altitude? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Because I honestly, I don't know. Either. Kevin mentioned the altitude psychologically and actually. But he's talked about it in the first 10 minutes, right? I get it. But I, uh, I always wonder about that. Like, when does that show up on a team? First couple of periods, I say, yeah, I go on adrenaline and all that. Then I, I just wonder what when altitude catches up to a team that's not used to it. And again, I'm just speculating. I would assume it would be the third. But I don't know. I would have to defer to they beat someone them. who played. Oh no, no, they, they, they listen. They Colorado beat Toronto legit, yeah, and that was a great and that play from behind the net, that pass from Rantanen. Good luck. Yeah, that's some elite elite territory. That was a fun game. Okay, so let's get to a couple of emails here. And okay. selfishly, I'm going to start off with one that winks at me from Kyle. I like Jeff's idea. Oh, what a great, what a oh, great, what a great God. way to start uh, an email, Kyle. I liked. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's how you know it's going to get used. Listen, if you think you can just get on this program here by flattery, you're 100 percent right. <laughs> oh my god, that so. I mean. like Jeff's idea of having a short-handed goal and a penalty. However, what would happen in a situation like tonight with Haglund scoring on his own net during the delayed penalty? Is the penalty over before it starts, like it would have been if Washington had scored on Minnesota? So let me get this straight. Yes. Let me get this straight. We're taking questions now about yeah. rules that don't exist. Correct. But what would happen if they did exist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have to get the. <laughs> because if we're going to present this to the NHL formally one day, we have to have the case book that comes along with it. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> if you're going to call Colin Camel to present this, you need to have a case book of what ifs to go along with it. Oh, my God. So much. Listen, I'll, I'll play commissioner on this one as you're the in-season cup commissioner. No, because that would just be like a team shooting it into its own net. So no, that the penalty would still stand. And you know what? You mentioned this um, before the podcast today. We saw a situation like this 
on uh i've seen two we most I'm recently put it in, the, in the notes on uh on tuesday oh are you in the uh the florida dallas yeah, game there was one in dallas florida yeah. which was a great game the other night and there was one i think it was the last game in canada before the christmas break i think it was st louis winnipeg i have to double check excellent okay this is an interesting one from victor i've wondered about this as well how much of an impact will the quote no fans situation in Canada have on players willing to come to Canadian teams at the deadline? I think it's a big factor. I do. I know the Canadian teams are worried about it. They are very concerned that players won't want to be traded into Canada. Now we'll see. There's some time between now that the trade deadline's uh, March 21st. So it's two months over two months. Things can change. But in my recent conversations, it's definitely a concern. Okay, let's get to a voicemail, uh, Elliot, from a listener in California. Hey, Jeff and Elliot, just finished listening to your most recent episode where you're talking about GM candidates, and there was no mention of Jeff Solomon, who's the interim GM for the Ducks, and his potential to uh, get that Ducks job. I'd sure like to hear your comments on that. Thanks. Great job. Always will listen. Take care. Well, first of all, thank you for listening. And secondly, I think I did mention, and maybe I didn't, but I think I did mention there were internal candidates in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. And I thought that would cover off um, Solomon and Dave Nonis and potentially Martin Madden. But, you know, obviously that's, that's on me. I would say I didn't make it clear enough. I do think the internal candidates um, have a shot there. I think they are very interested in the job too. So I would say he, he definitely is a candidate. You know, the, the thing that's interesting about Solomon in particular, he was brought in there to modernize the ducks mm-hmm. and bring them to contemporary standards. And if you had an overall vision, which ownership approved of bringing uh, this person in before the season, I don't see why that would change at all. So I do think Solomon is a very legitimate candidate. I just don't know how that's all going to work yet. I think the Ducks have talked to a lot of people. The One of the things I've heard is the Ducks may have talked to more people than anybody else at this time of all the openings. Mm. And I can't confirm that, but I have heard that. Like they are going out there and trying to talk to everybody they can and kind of whittle it down from there. But I do think the internal candidates, including Solomon, are legit candidates for the job and want the job. Um, Scott from Regina, with the Jets looking into playing in Saskatoon, do you think we'll see more NHL neutral site games? That's going to be tough. Yeah, I, I don't think they're crazy about that. To spiff buildings and make them NHL ready, thats that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, one of the, one of the big questions there, Scott, is that who was going to pay to kind of upgrade the rink there like, not that it's a bad rink or anything like that, but you have to upgrade the capabilities for an NHL game or multiple NHL games. And that was one of the issues. And, you know, I did hear that the the players weren't crazy about the idea either, just because it added more travel. And I think they understood what Winnipeg was trying to do. But and I think a lot of people understand what Winnipeg was trying to do. I just think there's enough travel, enough disruption of the season. I just don't think people want it anymore. Right. And let's finish off here with uh, a call from Jack in New York City. Hey, guys. Hey, Elliot. Hey, uh, Jeff. This is Jack calling from New York City. Big Owls fan. Big fan of the show. I wanted to call in reference to uh, Elliot's last point on the 
latest episode about star players not being able to fight or Sidney Crosby that fight against the Blues, no player being able to fight. I don't think it's the case. I think it's more that some teams never play to answer the bell. Maybe Pittsburgh don't really have that player, so if Pucky does get hit, no one's really standing up for him. If you look at someone, as you mentioned, Reeves, or the Islanders, you have Matt Mine or Johnson, I think some of these teams just don't have that player. So do you think it's more of a case that these teams just don't have someone to answer the bell? Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Well, thank you, Jack. And and by the way, I did get some angry Blues fans who, who felt that I that I libeled Mikola in the last uh, podcast because they felt that Crosby gave as, as much as he got. So mm-hmm. just shout out to the angry blues fans <laughs> who may or may not have been Darren Pang calling <laughs> and disguising his voice. I think that's definitely true. You know, Jack, you know, Jeff and I are the same age. Uh, you know, we're both in our early fifties and, and we remember an era where every team had five to 10 guys like Reeves or Martin or Johnston. And it's very different now. There's no question about that. And some teams do believe we're going to get our revenge on you on the power play. So there's definitely that. I completely agree with that, that, you know, some teams aren't built to handle that. And especially against a team like the Blues, who kind of are built to handle that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a fair point. It, it goes back to the way I was brought up. I think for a lot of us, it goes back to the way we were brought up that if you poked around on someone, you might get punched in the face and you probably deserve there it. There is a good chance. Um, awesome. Uh, listen, uh, thanks so much for the phone calls. Thanks so much for the emails. Yes. Again, the thought line, one 311 Emails always open as well. 32thoughts.sportsnet.ca. Emma likes going through them. Uh, speaking of Amal, thanks very much. Our uh, star producer, thanks so much for putting this one together. Thanks for the downloads. Thanks for your ears uh, and lending us your time once again. Taking us out, an artist and producer based in the south coast of Sydney whose sound resembles an era in Australian music that set the indie pop world in a craze. Ayokum has been creating music the last couple of years and his creative process is quick, food-free, and pretty blurry at times. With his latest single, here's Swimming Pools by Ayokum. 32 Thoughts, the podcast.
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences, People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.